Just have a few announcements. Your bulletin has most of what you need to know, but there's a couple of corrections I'll just make, or in addition, we do have a coordinator for our Easter egg hunt. You can have a seat if you like. This lady right here, Amy Johnson, and myself. So um, we do have some sign-up sheets on the table right back here. Two events to sign up for. There's, a, of course, the Easter egg hunt on April 8th at 10.30 a.m. here. And we'll also have an uh, egg packing day the Saturday before on April 1st. That'll be at 9.30 here for a few hours. We, we need you to sign up for one or both of those events if you like. There's also an online sign-up as well. Also, please uh, continue to pray for our brother, Paul Hoyce, who's, uh, I understand, is home now and slowly recovering. But uh, Paul and Gail both need a lot of help and support. And there is also a Take Them a Meal link that went out in, in Friday's email, or I believe it was yesterday, to uh, coordinate some meals for both of them. Um, so if you consider signing up for that, that would be great. So that's all I have. We're back to it. If I could just add that we will need more donations of eggs and non-peanut candy for the Easter egg hunt, that would be great. Our judge and our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 3. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 3, you can turn in your Bibles over there, and I'm going to read the story. It's a turning point for the nation of Israel. God has uh, not spoken to them for some time or had been quiet, and you're going to see that here as we read through 1 Samuel chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call you. Go back, lie down. So he went and he laid down. Again, the Lord called Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am. You called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A third time, the Lord called Samuel and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as other times, Samuel, Samuel. 
Then Samuel said, speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, see, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears about to tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by, for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked, do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was a as attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. And Samuel's word came to all Israel. Let's pray. God, uh, we thank you for your word. We, we read right here that Samuel's words did not fall to the ground. Your words through Samuel did not fall to the ground. As we look at your word today, we know they don't fall to the ground. And God, we... We seek, as we hear the truth of your word, God, it may penetrate our hearts and our minds. God, may we be changed because of your word. We ask in the name of Jesus, amen. Okay, we want to look at, uh, look at two individuals here today, but we want to understand this was kind of a big moment for the nation of Israel, because as you see in verse 1, he says, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. So for some time, God had not been speaking. God had not been working in the nation of Israel. And now we're getting to a point through Samuel that God begins to speak through his prophet Samuel. And then we'll get into the time of David and we'll see the prophets. And, and so God begins to do something he'd not done in the land for quite some time. And so this morning, we want to look at two individuals, Eli and Samuel. And I think looking at their lives is going to help us examine our own lives. And so we're going to start with Eli. Now, if you just read chapter 3 and you see what was said about Samuel or about Eli, I want to read that again for you. This is what uh, he said to Samuel, and he's talking about Eli and his house. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke about his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons blasphemed God, and he failed to restrain him. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. So you read that and like, man, this, Eli's in trouble here, right? Like God's looking at what he has done, or maybe better, what he has not done, and he's judging Eli for those actions or those lack of action. But when we examine the life of Eli, like Eli's a He's a pretty good dude. He's a pretty good guy as you look at his life and even how he responds here. And so that's what I want to look at as we look at Eli. There's, there's a lot of 
great things, good things about Eli, but I think there's something missing. And so what we want to see from Eli is that he was good, but he was weak. And so as we look at the life of Eli, he was a good man, but there's weakness in him. Because of that weakness, we see God's judgment come out on him and his family. So I want to start with the good, because as we look at Eli, like, there's a lot of things. I, I, as I looked at this and I studied this and I read it, I'm like, the things in Eli's life that made him good, man, I, like, they're all things that I struggle with a little bit. And so it was good for me to read and like, oh, yeah, Eli's a great example of that. Eli's a great example of that. Eli's a great example of this. But yet he had a, he had a major flaw in that. So let, let's start with the good. And there's three things that I think we see in the life of Eli that is good. I think the first is a lack of envy. So Eli is in a position, he's in a position of really power, uh, both probably political power, religious power. You look at Eli as a leader in the nation of Israel, right? So you look at Eli, here's a guy, he's in a position of power. But who, who does this revelation come from? Who does the word of God come to? Right? He hadn't been in the land for quite some time. He hadn't been speaking to Eli. Well, he speaks to this young man, Samuel. And so I like Eli's response because Eli's response is like, why, why is he not talking to me? Why didn't he come to me? Why is the Lord not speaking to me? Like, I, I'm the leader, right? I'm the guy who is leading this thing, yet the word of the Lord comes to Samuel. But he didn't have envy. That's a difficult thing. You know, a lot of times we struggle with envy. I, you know, I grew up as the least favorite child, and that's a struggle, you know. My mom loved my brother the most. My dad loved my sister the most. And, you know, it was, it was a struggle growing up. I remember uh, I had an uncle, and I was told him I was going to go into youth ministry, and he looked at me like, and I told him, you know, kind of like my brother. He goes, yeah, but you're not your brother. <laughs> that hurt. Uh, so, you know, you live in shadows and things like that. Well, you know, then, then every, my sister became everyone's favorite when, you know, she had a brain bleed and was in a coma for a couple months. And I guess now I know what it takes to become a favorite. Not, not willing to go down that road. So, but there's, there's envy, right? If you've grown up in a family like that and maybe your, your siblings have accomplished things and uh, done things maybe that you haven't, there can be envy in that. In work, you may be working hard in your job and you see someone else get a promotion, or someone else rise up. And there can be envy in that. Envy in relationships. I have friends and whatever that accomplish things that I look at and I'm like, man, I, I wish I could accomplish that. I was talking to a good friend the other day and he was talking about a family member and he was comparing a family member of his to other people's family members. He goes, I, like, I don't want to be this way, but there was an envy because of what someone else's family had accomplished compared to his. And it was, he says, I, I, I know it's wrong and I still love my family, but it was a difficult thing, right? Because it's easy to look at others and what they've accomplished and be envious of it. Like it's a struggle. I, I feel that way all the time. Work, relationships, there's an envy. And yet Eli is not an envious man. The second thing we see about Eli is he wants to know the truth about himself. Samuel answered, this is verse 16, Samuel answered, here I am. Verse 17, what was it he said to you, Eli asked? Do not hide it from me. 
May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. Nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. That's a difficult response. Like, did did you just hear what what God said is going to happen to your family? And yet his response is, hey, the Lord is good. Let him do. Let him do what he needs to do. And so that, that's a difficult thing to hear truth about yourself. Right? I know personally I struggle with envy. But I also know this might be a bigger struggle, to hear truth about yourself. Now, I try to hide my own struggles and sin and whatever in my own life because I don't want to remind myself of them. But imagine having someone in your life that would speak that to you, that is willing to speak truth and like, hey, Kyle, this might be an area that you need to work on. This might be an area that you need to improve on. And so here's a guy, Eli, who is willing to hear the truth about himself. And are we willing to hear truth about our own lives, about our own struggles, about our own shortcomings? I don't like hearing it, but I think there's a couple things that's true. One, I need a willingness to hear that. I think there can be real growth that happens if I allow other people to speak that in. That if I'm one, willing, and two, I allow other people to do it. So I am the type of personality, like I try to keep people at a distance, right? Because if you're like me, I don't really want them to know me. Like I want them to know me, but I, if they know all the, everything about me, they may not like me, right? They know every struggle and, and every shortcoming and every, every, every place that I have failed. They might not like me. But I love this as we see in Eli. He's like, hey, give it to me. Speak the truth. I want to hear. And it was a tough truth to hear. So I think the challenge for me and something I would challenge each and every one of you is who, who can you invite into your life that would be willing to speak truth to you? You got to be willing to hear it, right? But they would be willing to speak it. Someone who loves Jesus, someone who knows the word of God, someone who can discern the word of God so they can see my life and say, you know what, Kyle, here's the truth. It doesn't mean every time I see him, they're tearing me down, but they would be able to say, here's your shortcomings. Here's where you failed. Here's the truth you need to hear in your own life. And it's a very difficult thing because people don't want to hear that. Or at least, am I alone on that? I don't think I'm alone on that. I think it's a difficult thing to hear your, maybe where you fall short, the struggles. But man, that those things, that someone would be able to speak to those things in my life, I think there can be significant growth. I think there can be a significant growth in my relationship with Jesus and my pursuit of the things of the kingdom of God. So I encourage you, one, man, be willing. Am I willing to hear that truth in my life? And then two, who are the people that I could let into my life that would speak that truth to me? And this is for me, because I, I don't like doing that. And so studying it, like this, this, this hit hard, right? Who am I willing to let in my life that would say, Kyle, you're struggling here. Kyle, you're falling short here. We need that in our life. I think the thought for us that one day all our secrets are going to be revealed, right? <laughs> one day they all will be revealed. But who in my life now 
would I be willing to share those things with? That they can speak. They can help me grow. They can help me seek the things of God. And so there's a courage I see in in Eli here I have to admire. Because that's a tough thing. He's like, tell me the truth. I want to hear the truth. And then he says, yeah, all right, God, do your thing. Uh, The third thing we see in Eli, so we, we see a lack of envy in him. We see that he wants to know the truth about it and about himself. And the third thing is we see a great humility in Eli. Uh, if you look, Samuel told him everything. And his response in verse 18, then Eli said, he is the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. If you look at other stories uh, throughout the Old Testament, when a prophet speaks, and you will see, hey, this is the truth, this is what is going to happen. And you will see some people respond favorably to what this truth that that God is speaking through the prophets. But you see other stories. There's Jezebel, there's Ahab, and they are given this truth, and their response is basically like, no, I'm rejecting God. I want nothing to do with that. They hear the truth, someone speaks the truth, And they don't have the humility to respond to that truth. But that's what I love about Eli, because he hears the truth, and his response is so beautiful. He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. And to Eli's credit, he accepted the words. Now, you'll see his humility in a couple other things. I'm not getting into chapter 4, but I'm going to touch on it briefly. That's for next week. But in chapter 4, we see something. Now, again, I said it earlier, Eli is the patriarch, right? He's the leader of Israel. Like, he's the guy people look to. He's the spiritual leader. So he is a patriarch, patriarch, he's a father, and he's a leader of God's people. And in chapter 4, they're going to march off to battle, and something's going to happen. They're going to be defeated in battle. And so they come to Eli, and they tell him the story of what has happened. And three things take place. First of all, they tell him the story the Israelites have been defeated in battle. And he hears it and he accepts it, right? The second thing he's told, Eli, your two sons have been killed in battle. And he hears it. And as crushing as it must hear to, lose, to hear you've lost in battle, and as crushing as it must hear as my two sons have died in the battle, Like he accepted it, but the third took his life. The third thing he is told is they have captured the Ark of the Covenant. They've captured the Ark of God. They've captured the presence of God, right? And on hearing those words, he fell off his horse and he died. And it's like, okay, I I heard they defeated us. I heard that my sons died, but man, he couldn't bear the loss of the presence of God, so much so that he died. And in this, we see Eli as a man, like, he didn't have envy. (laughs) He had great humility. He wanted to hear the truth about himself. And you look at Eli, and you see those qualities, qualities that I lack in my own life, and you look at him like, Eli was a good man, right? A good man. Yet we hear this message against his family, against his household. It's because there's a major flaw in Eli's life. So he was a good man, but he was weak. He was fatally weak. And I think in this, we see how dangerous it is 
to have weakness in a leader. And so whether we're leading our families, whether we're leading in the church or we're leading in friendships, relationships, or at work, wherever it might be, the lack of leadership is a huge weakness. And so we see it in the life of Eli. Eli was good, right? I mean, he was a good man. His feelings and his thoughts were good, but in action, he fell short. Good, but weak. You look at um, 1 Timothy 3, and it talks about the qualities and characteristics that are needed in a leader, a leader of a church. And it talks about things that a man, he has to be a strong man. There has to be real evidence of leadership within his family. He needs to be respected from the outsiders. There has to be an ability to stand and be counted. And so you look at that, like this is the early church. The church is being established. And what they didn't want is weak leaders, right? When the church is first being formed, who's going to lead? Well, we need people with character. Certainly, we have to have that. But we also have to have people that are not weak. We have to have strong leadership that are going to help grow the church and take it to where it needs to go for the kingdom of God. And so that, that's what we don't see in Eli. Is Eli great man, good qualities, but he lacked leadership. And this is what happens when a godly man lacks leadership. There's powerful words in verses 12 through 15 that are spoke against Eli and his family. And it's not spoken against him because he was a wicked man, but because he was a weak man. If we are good but weak, it leads to a weak future. I'm just going to tell you briefly about his two sons. I know you probably heard their names last week. I was not here, and you're going to look at them again next week. They're in both of those. But there's his two sons, Hophni and Phineas. Now, these two individuals, listen to what it's said about them. If you go back to 1 Samuel 2.12, read this about these two. Eli's sons were scoundrels. <laughs> scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Verse 17 in chapter 2, this sin of the young men, speaking of them, was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. So we have a good man in Eli, but listen to what it says about his two sons. They are scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. And the sin of these young men was great in the eyes of the Lord. So think about Eli, and yet think about these three things that were said about his sons. Like, do you want that said? Scoundrel. That's a big word, right? It's not that like, oh, he's just not a nice guy. I mean, a scoundrel. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And yet their father appears to be this good man. In... uh, 4-4, something happens, this battle I just told you about. So they go to battle, the nation of Israel. They take the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, because they think, yeah, let's bring the presence of God with us. But look who's taking them into battle and leading them in battle. Hophni and Phineas. These two individuals, and we just talked about them, they're scoundrels. They did wrong in the eyes of the Lord. Yet they're going out, and they're leading God's people into battle. Good man, Eli, 
but he was a weak leader. And it was seen in how his sons carried out their life. And I, I, you think of so many, I, I look around and see so many denominations uh, within the church in America, and, and I think probably what happened as I, as I even contemplating through this story, like good men, but weak leaders. When confronted with issues that go against the Bible, man, it can be easy to just kind of give in and go with the crowd instead of standing for the word of God. One thing we're going to see here in the final verses, we're not there yet, but when we get there, final verses, is the word of God. And it is the pillar by which everything in this world operates, by everything in this world stands. And so we, we have to know the word of God and we have to respond to the word of God. We have to live out the word of God. We have to listen to the word of God because it should dictate everything in which we do in our lives. And so you can have good men, but if they're weak leaders, we see the result of it. And so Israel, the nation of Israel, until, up until this point had, had struggled because of that. Good men. That was Eli, a good man, but a weak leader. The second person we want to see, and Samuel, we're going to say probably a lot of good things about Samuel, but understand that he too had his flaws, and we're not going to get into a lot of his flaws today, but uh, Samuel is our second guy in this story. And in chapter 3, at the beginning, we see who Samuel is, and we're reminded that there is a reemergence of prophecy and a restoration of the word of God to the people. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. So there's a reemergence of prophecy and a restoration of the word of God to the people. And God is using the prophet Samuel for exactly this. And chapter 3 is a turning point in the history of the nation of God that he uses uh, Samuel as his instrument to do that. And so it really kind of begins in verse 7, and you'll see now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So verse 7, we see the word of the Lord yet had not come, and then the following verses, God shows up. The Lord shows up and speaks to Samuel. But you can even go back to the beginning of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 1, 1, it talks about a certain man, and you can see a man that, that followed God, and then we get into the story of his wife, Hannah, and I I love going back even to there, and we're not going to spend time there, because I'm reminded, like, God's doing something here in chapter 3. God's showing up again in chapter 3. God's beginning to speak to the people again in chapter 3. But you know where it started? It started with a certain man, and it started with his wife, Hannah, and it started with an outpouring and a cry to God, because that's where it can begin. Like, we see this, and it's a cool story in chapter 3 that it flips, but it's awesome that revival and restoration can begin with one individual. I've even been looking over the last few weeks, and you see the revival at Asbury and, and hear the stories of what God is doing. And it can begin with something small. And in this, First Samuel, a certain man. And then Hannah. And then we get to the point where Samuel shows up, and God begins to speak through Samuel. But it begins with me, right? That God begins begin to do a work and God begin to speak to the people like man if just one heart would be turned and then more hearts would be turned and revival can certainly begin 
So God shows up and he speaks. And in verse 19, uh, here's what it says. I think these are some cool verses here. In verse 19, the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of Samuel's words fall to the ground. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And as you continue reading, and we, we went briefly into chapter 4, verse 1, Samuel's word came to all Israel. This is truly a turning point in biblical history. So here he begins to speak to Samuel, and Samuel's words, he did not let Samuel's words fall to the ground. And everyone from Dan to Beersheba recognized that he was a prophet. So Samuel begins to speak. God does not let his words fall to the ground. And everyone from Dan to Beersheba realized that this is a prophet of God. Why is that? I think there's a couple things we need to know. One, it is God who is speaking. Now, God doesn't always show up like a big blockbuster movie, right? When God speaks, he doesn't show up and all of a sudden the voice of God. Now, he did earlier in this chapter. He did when he showed up to Samuel, but it's not usually like that, right? If I would ask you how God has spoken in your life, it's probably not an audible voice of God. I would many, now, it doesn't mean he couldn't. We've seen him do it. He did it right here in 1 Samuel. But most of the time when God speaks, speaks, it's through his word. When he speaks to us, it's through his word. When he speaks, what he's going to do here is he's going to speak through who? Samuel. Like God's word is coming through the prophet Samuel. And it doesn't necessarily, that means that there's some mystical experience. That's not how it normally works. But he speaks through his word. And the main way he reveals himself to the nation of Israel, to us today, is through his word. And throughout the Bible, he reveals himself through the words of the prophets. And even look in uh, Peter. Peter is preaching in the early book of Acts 2. Now, here's an important thing, that he does not let Samuel's words fall to the ground. Now, are they truly Samuel's? Whose words are they? They're God's words, right? So here's Peter preaching early in the book of Acts 2, and he says, that, or uh, uh, early in, in Acts, he says, God did by the mouth of David say. God did by the mouth of David say. And then he goes on and he quotes Psalm 2. What he's saying is God is speaking, and although David spoke the words, who did they come from? They came from God. And although Samuel spoke the words, who do they come from? That doesn't mean that everything Samuel, was, Samuel said in his life was right, but when he was prophesying, that was God speaking, and the words did not fall to the ground. And it's not that he didn't ever say anything wrong, but it's when he prophesied. And as a result of those words, and everything did not fall to the ground, right, the people knew. They knew he was a prophet. From Dan to Beersheba, all the nation of Israel knew the words he spoke were that of God. Because God did not let them fall to the ground. Now what's it mean that they did not fall to the ground? Uh, the, the word being used here is like rot or spoil. right? I leave my food out, it gets, it gets rotten, whatever, and we toss it out. 
And so the picture is like it would never do that. The words of God would never rot or spoil. They never pass away. Like human words, when we speak, when we do, I mean, they pass away, right? They go. Uh, you wouldn't have to look, look long when people give an opinion of something, probably within five years, someone else might say they're wrong and they have a different opinion of it, right? I mean, I can go back to the beginning of like COVID and what they said in the beginning of that to what they're saying now, it's completely different, right? Human words. But the words of God do not rot. They do not spoil. They do not fall to the ground. The Bible tells us that God's words will never return to him void. His words define reality. They are the structure of reality, and they don't fall to the ground. His words, his word, like they define everything there is in this world. So here's what it means for us. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. Samuel spoke his words. They do not fall to the ground. Now, there's two parts of this. There's, there's good news and there's bad news, and I, I don't want to leave you on a bad note, so we'll do the bad news first. That's all right, Rod. You good with that? Here's what that means. First of all, bad news. Now, this in and of itself is not bad, but Scripture cannot be broken. The word of God will not break you. The word of God will break you one way or another. There, in the end, no one can disobey God's word. Here's what I mean by that. If my sin, whether it be what I was talking about earlier, envy, or not wanting to hear the truth, or humility, when that encounters the word of God, it's going to break me, right? If I, if I lack humility in my life and I would study the scriptures, what do you think the scripture is going to tell me about humility? I probably need something in my life, right? When I encounter the word of God and I look at my own life and my struggles and where I fall short, if I read the words of God, it's going to break me. If I study humility and I don't have humility in my life, I know the word of God tells me that I need humility in my life. And so when we encounter the words of God, it's going to break us. It has to break us because we do fall short. And this is how we're supposed to live our life, by the words of God. If your sin comes in contact with the truth of the word of God, we will see our sin and our failure. And it will break us because his words do not fall to the ground. But if we do not encounter the word of God, ultimately, what's going to happen? Ultimately, we are going to be broken. Ultimately, our soul is going to be broken. I, I think of a back in the day, I knew this individual, and they were a compulsive liar. And as I was involved in their life, I, and they would speak, like I knew I didn't, couldn't trust what they said. Because I just, I knew it was probably more than 50-50% of chance what they're telling me is a lie. Now, can a relationship be built on lies? Like if that was my marriage and, you know, Karen was speaking to me and I'm looking at, no, this, maybe I should use the other way around. She doesn't make mistakes, right? So, you know, if I'm speaking to her and she had this opinion like 50-50, he's lying to me. What kind of relationship would we have? 
wouldn't have one, right? It's going to break. See, one way or another, either we're going to counter Scripture and God's going to break us because we see our fault, or I'm going to carry out lie or whatever it might be, and eventually it's going to break. It's going to break whatever marriage, friendships, relationships. It's going to break. And one day, ultimately, one day it's going to break my soul. If I've not encountered the words of God that do not fall to the ground. If I haven't encountered that, it's going to break my soul. Uh, There's a place where Jesus is talking about the men of Nineveh will stand on that last day and judge you because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. But a greater Jonah is here. Speaking of Jesus will be judged by the amount of knowledge we have. And if you look at the story of Jonah, it's a, you know, I was, you read through that, and the more you read through it, the more you're like, man, this Jonah guy just didn't quite get it. Because if you, if you look at how Jonah preached, like he didn't, he didn't do a very good job. Jonah went in in Jonah chapter 3, and what does he say? What's going to happen? He tells him, 40 days, and God's going to destroy you. That was his message. 40 days, God will destroy you. He didn't really give him any other option. He just said, here's what's coming. Good luck. We missed the message, right? Because maybe, maybe I could tell him, you should turn from your sin. You know what? You should repent from your sin. He just gave him the first part. He's like, 40 days and you guys are done for. It's over. But they said to themselves, well, man, maybe if we repent, Maybe if we change, God will spare us. See, he just gave him part of the message. But they said, we better repent. We better change. And what happened? God spared him. And Jonah was kind of depressed about it. He wasn't all good at at preaching the message. But the more knowledge we have, the greater judgment will be in those last days. And the bad news is... You can't escape from the word of God. You can't escape it. But man, if we can know now to embrace it, we can read it, we can hear it, and it's life-changing. His words do not fall to the ground. They do not rot. They do not spoil. They will change your life. Now, they may break you in the process, but they will change your life. Now, the good news is, If you are willing to take the word of God in, you will become an imperishable person. You won't rot or spoil. If we would take the word of God in. And Jesus gives us the greatest example of this because he was absolutely obsessed with the word of God. And any time there was a a struggle or a difficulty or some extreme circumstance, what is Jesus' response to it? What's he doing? He's quoting the word of God. When Satan comes and he's tempting, what's Jesus' response? He quotes the word of God. Walking to the cross, he's quoting the word of God. The final moments on the cross, he's quoting scripture. Psalm 22, he's quoting, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because when we're at our end, we're in our darkest spot, We're in the biggest struggle. Whatever comes to our mind is that which is deepest in our heart. Jesus was obsessed with the word of God. 
the word of God does not fall short. It does not fall to the ground. It does not rot. It does not spoil. If our life is built on the word of God, it won't fall on the ground. Imperishable, imperishable person if we take in the word of God. Let's pray. God, we we thank you for looking at the story of Eli and ultimately Samuel, but, but more how you and your word came through Samuel. God, we thank you, God, for this example and this picture and this reminder that your words don't fall short. Your words don't fall to the ground. Your words don't rot or spoil. God, we thank you for the words and the truth we see in Scripture about your son, Jesus. As we get ready to take the bread and the juice, we want to examine our own lives and look at places in Scripture, maybe where we are needing some help, where we're struggling. God, may we look at the good things in Eli, and may we invite people in our life that can speak to those places. God, we we look at the life of Samuel, who was willing to listen. I'm here, Lord. Speak, your servant is listening. And God, you used him and you gave him your words to speak that lives could be changed. And God, we ultimately look at your word as a reminder where we fall short, but also a reminder of Jesus. And this great need we have for him. And this great thing that he has done for us. God, we can be an imperishable person. We cannot rot or spoil because of the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done for us on the cross. That he gave his life up for us. God, if we don't know that this morning, if that truth has not broke our heart this morning, God, may it do it. May it break our heart. May we realize this great need we have for Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for that your word does not fall to the ground, that does not rot or spoil. And we thank you for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.